Hi, this is Mike Balaban. You're listening to Bammer and Me, building community through storytelling and sharing the LGBTQ plus experience. Hi, Kali. Welcome to Bammer and Me. This is part two of the interview. Mm-hmm. And when we left off last time, you had just lost your partner. Yes. Graduating from Kansas. Yes. Um, and I, I think maybe you wanted to clarify a little bit how that impacted you. It really did impact me a lot in a way to where psychologically and emotionally, I would say, because like I've mentioned earlier, I did come from a huge family. And when you first have someone pay attention to you, show you affection, show you the time, show you places and things that you've never experienced before. And then to lose them that in that way, it does a number on you to where you feel like maybe this is the only chance I had of a great love story and it didn't end well. So I gained a lot of weight, almost to 100 pounds, believe it or not. Wow. Yes, I'll remind me to send you a picture of how I looked in college. <laughs> I will send it to you in Kansas. Yeah, so started smoking cigarettes heavy, just basically did not care about anything. And I don't know if I've even told you this, but nobody from my family came to my undergrad graduation. And believe it or not, I don't know. I just didn't even care at that point. Life was just the whole period, even after his loss and all of that. Like those two, three years for me were a little bit weird. Eventually, I ended up getting a job to where I would be more of a liaison. I don't know if that's how we can call it. I used to go door to door. I got my degree in chemistry and mathematics. That was my undergrad degree from Kansas. So I didn't know what I wanted to do with them. I was, someone told me the only thing I could do was probably teach. And I was like, oh my God, no, I I hate talking to people. I am just not that type. Anyways, we went ahead. I got a job with an organization that sort of helped people and connected them to the American Cancer Society. And what we did was that we basically encouraged a lot of early testing in detecting things like prostate cancer, mostly in urban communities. Now, I don't know much about how many, how much, but sex and private parts are a huge taboo in any community of color. It's well, not just, particularly among black men, getting them to talk about yes. their butt, right? Yes, you suggest someone, oh, you need to go get, explain it to them that this is one of the most treatable forms of cancer, but only if we find it extremely early and all of that. And also, doesn't it happen multiple times as often among Mm -hmm. black men? Yes, they have. Yeah. But then again, there was that question of is this something that is genetics or is it our 
hesitance when it comes to going to get tested or going to go for checkups and whatnot, especially with that area. So I don't know if it's just us being stuck in our ways to where we don't want to go and see the doctor about that. I'm a doctor and to be honest, I don't know if I'm even comfortable. I don't know if I should say it out loud, but you would assume that I would be okay with it. <laughs> but yeah, so it's an interesting thing. Anyways, it was an okay job. It was around the time that we had the first 2008 elections with Obama and and I used to go door to door and people would always think that I'm there soliciting votes and tell me, oh, I already voted. I'm like, okay, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to talk about something else. But eventually I lost funding. We lost a lot of funding due to the crash that happened right around that time in 2009 and whatnot. I was stuck with, okay, I was... I had a problem, but my problems were something that looking back at them now, we would consider them good problems. Only A, I didn't have a lot of debt. One of the things that we haven't covered that you told me probably, and I'll do this in the interest of time, was that you taught, you, you arrived on scholarship and you taught yep. math and chemistry to a lot of the football team members. I and, used to, yep, do and, that. And you effectively earned a reduction in your tuition. So right, when you right, left, right. left Kansas, your debt was what, $1,000 maybe? Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, based literally $1,266. I still remember that number. Which is nothing for a four-year out-of-school university oh, education. Yes, yeah. but yeah, another thing is college wasn't as expensive over there. And I ended up being in-state tuition after a year. After you stay there for a year, in which I did, I ended up be, being a Kansan resident over there. But anyway, the job ended. I got laid off, not because I was horrible at my job, but laying off is something that happens with seniority. You know what I mean? So I was the youngest one and the last one hired. I probably was the first one out. So what did you do then? Oh... <laughs> I sat around a bit and then, but then a week or so later, one of my old bosses just messaged me and I didn't look into that email for a while. I was like, okay, but then when I finally, because I just thought that he was being nice, you know what I mean? Like just checking up on me, which he was, but then he told me, I think this is a great time for you to go back to school. And I think you would make a great doctor. And I said, okay, I don't know if I'm ready for that type of a commitment of almost a decade, the amount of loans, and it's just too much. I didn't imagine of having a life like that, to be honest, even back in my younger days, I just wanted a life that was always under the radar and extremely basic, like extremely average. I did not want all of these extra schooling and nothing like that. Why did you want an average life? I don't know. I just... Growing up was extremely tumultuous. Moving and going from camp to camp, going from extremely hot weather to extremely cold weather, living in a cramped-up apartment, all these siblings. By the time you reach... 
adulthood or get to be on your own, you feel like you're exhausted. No, I just want something that's considered normal by European standards or by civilized standards. Like, I don't want... But then look at me today. This is interesting. Like, I was like, no, I just wanted a normal nine-to-five job, you know, and maybe as average and as regular as possible because I think I'm done with dramatics and theatrics and everything that you can imagine, all kinds of curveballs. No, because... So so tell us what happened. So he said no. He insisted. He even said he was going to pay for my MCATs, which he did. Which are the board board exams. Like exams you have to take to enter medical school, entry exams. So these are exams that qualify you. I honestly did not even study. I thought I was going to like super fail. But the basics of a lot of these exams at that time were chemistry, math, biology, and physics. I already have an undergraduate degree, most of those, you know, so it wasn't like I couldn't fail even if I wanted to, basically speaking, because so I did extremely well, like way better. Like I did very good in all of the sciences. My only English, my only problem was the English, the essays and the stuff that I didn't know well. And that one could have just been mostly because I didn't study. So I had interviews. Okay, so after the results came, I looked at it. Okay, and the way they had the results at that time was different. And so when they sent the results, I thought I didn't do well. But then my neighbor asked about it and I showed it to her. And she was like, no, this is extremely good. So I went ahead and picked up the phone and called the doctor and my old boss. And I told him, hey, this is what happened. I did this and we did. And I got this. And he was like, oh my God, that is extremely good scores. So you see what's happening here. And he was one of these people who believed a lot in the universe and things not just happening randomly like there has to be a reason as to why this is happening i said yeah so he said why don't you why don't we figure out how we will get you into medical school because not only do i think you would do good but these test scores are extremely better than at that time he told me his I said, well, okay, let's, it's not like I have a job. And at that time I was collecting what, $150 in unemployment, which I thought was fabulous. So we you know, started writing the essays, started writing the applications and eventually went into got interviews from three different schools. One was Buffalo, the other one was Idaho. And I believe the other one was in Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. Anyway, I didn't even consider the Georgia one. The Idaho one, I went for an interview and the interview was like in the middle of nowhere. So it was around spring, summer-ish. So I came to Buffalo and the interview and this is how funny this is. First of all, I didn't have a reservation to, for a hotel or anything. The idea was drive from Kansas to Buffalo and sleep in my car. 
I got here and I was getting something to eat and I saw a poster of a hostel, like they have a hostel and places for people to stay at night. I went there and they had a room and it was extremely like 50% off, which I thought was the first sign. And the lady at that place just told me, hey, you don't even have to drive to this campus. There's a train that leaves right across the door from the office. You can just get in there and the train will take you straight to where you're going to the interview. And I kid you not, it was door to door. Like it couldn't have worked out better. So I went to the interview. I was not prepared for the questions, but one thing I always remembered was just be myself. There's really nothing else. These people haven't seen, they've probably heard all kinds of lies about you know, all of that. And as we were, so they started interviewing me and a lot of them had the same reaction to you. you know? So they were like, like you did, if I remember correctly, one of the ladies was asking me, you seem very calm for all of this. I don't remember the answer I gave at that time, but I don't think it was the right answer. I just literally think I tanked that interview. I went back home, went back to life as usual. They sent me a letter and saying, we've accepted you, but we are full. So what we're going to do is put you on a waiting list. So this means that if someone changes their mind and goes to a different school, you are at the top of the waiting list. And so, so the, the getting accepted by those three schools was not full acceptance. It was just interview. Oh yeah, it was. Oh, not because. But don't forget, my whole thing wasn't planned. Most people start applying to go to medical school in 2022 August. They start applying it today. Like that's how what I'm telling you. Like things just snowballed in my world. It wasn't like I kid you not. No, it wasn't like we had a whole year to plan. No, I was laid off in 2009 and 2010 August. I was in medical school. Wow. Yeah. So you. So that's what I'm trying. To, I sort of shaped my whole philosophy of this, how I decided to approach life was the fact that things just came together so quickly and so peacefully and I didn't have to worry about a lot of things. I'm like, maybe this really wasn't me being a selfish person or just thinking about myself wasn't what I was meant to do. And that's why now when we get back to eventually get to what I do now, is this is actually the foundation for that was that maybe there's a reason why things worked out so well was that i had and i had how do i say this there was something for me to do out there that was bigger than myself so to speak so there what happened to, with buffalo after that interview oh they sent me the letter saying that I was on the waiting list. And after the waiting list, three weeks, four weeks later, they sent me another letter saying I got accepted. And I had to be here by August 1st, mid-August, where that's when school started and whatnot. Anyways, I literally rushed through everything. Didn't find a place to stay. And that's another funny thing. I came here and... I was staying at a motel and I stayed there at that motel for one day and as I came to school there were 
there was another student from Sudan and we were just talking and he told me, oh, I'm looking for a roommate, no one. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm, I don't have one. So I'm actually, <laughs> so he was like, okay, when can you move? I'm like, my stuff is in the car. Like we can leave here and go straight to whatever. I kid you not, I didn't even ask. And then I went so to the Basically house. your life is one of serendipity. Like, it was like taking a bite of a well-cooked chocolate cake and finding the layers to it but it wasn't always like that it's things just started to happen so tell me about what is it nine and a half years how long did you spend in med school nine years nine and a half years almost yeah. nine, almost 10 actually nine years and nine nine years and nine months and 28 days so almost and what, nine. And what was that experience like? The experience was, I kid you not, it feels, but I didn't. 2011 was just yesterday for me. That's how fast things went. Life got so busy. The usual four years was okay. Graduated, not, not too much fanfare. No one came. So again, both your graduations, no one from your family attended. I think your oh, your parents no. were back in back in Somalia for one of those graduations, right? No, there wasn't Somalia. They were in East Africa taking you know family back there and whatnot. That one I could have understood. The second one really was not much of a big excuse because they were. When I told them I got into medical school, everyone would have happy. But it was more of like, wait, how did you get into medical school? Because everything also happened so fast. So, but I didn't care to explain. I didn't care to go into detail. Them coming, them not coming. I got used to being let down so many times that you eventually ended up forming an immune immunity to it. Yeah. Like, it was like, okay, oh my God. Yeah, so you let me down again. What's new? So I didn't care. So I graduated, decided to stay here for my residency. And towards the end of my residency, towards the middle of my residency, I used to always volunteer. There used to be a few organizations here um, there because I know Buffalo is a border city. And what happens is a lot of people come seeking asylum and whatnot. So I used to help out with organizations, either translate, either whatever they needed. I could speak a lot of the languages of most of the people who needed to seek asylum. But a lot of the asylum seekers were not Amer for America. Most of them were for Canada at that time. Only because if you have someone who is in Canada, who is a Canadian citizen, they can just sponsor you and the interview will be done at the border and, you know, you two can go. And I think they had, they had a more, uh, how do I say it? And this was during the Trump era for me. So they had a more lenient in listening to people's cases and whatnot. And a lot of the people who were seeking asylum were gay people, believe it or not who are escaping prosecution and whatnot. And what's, what I found so interesting was some of them would be asked to prove they were gay, which I was like, how do you prove that? So that was what I did, worked a lot with them. And so basically, in the limited free time you had, yeah. excuse me, 
you you did you spent it going to these are refugee centers it's one of yep they're not they're, they're more of an asylum seeking um places okay and they're also resettlement centers too like for now not only that but then there was also another one here that does a lot of resettlement commit the stuff that we went through so right that one i did but then covid hit now this is way after all of that and during covid the whole thing ended up being dangerous only because volunteering was only to be done through online a lot of basically everything that could have been limited in terms of volunteering was eventually limited so i took a step back from them only not because of that but because i was working a lot of hours during the COVID time and ended up contracting the disease and blah, 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 COVID. But well, not, you, you haven't shared with our audience yet what your specialty is and how oh, you graduated. Oh. <laughs> I don't want to brag, but yeah, I'm a cardiac surgeon. So I do cardiac. It's pretty surgery. impressive. <laughs> that, yeah, it's thanks. But yeah, so that is what I ended up doing. But eventually we, as I was walking one evening, I noticed there was a food pantry like maybe a half a mile from my house. And it was so weird because it was right in between the gym and my house. So I said to myself, huh, and they had signs that saying we're genuinely looking for volunteers. And I went there and I just told them, hey, I don't mind volunteering. And a lot of the people who volunteer at that pantry are retirees, people who retired and are not working anymore because the days they have the pantry, I think is Monday and Wednesdays or sometimes Tuesdays and Fridays. And most of those are like normal working days. So they were really appreciative that I went and I was really happy they took me in and I, and that's now, I think, where I'm serving the most. It's at the pantry, the asylum-seeking places and the refugee centers and whatnot. They do have a lot more people who are willing to volunteer and do that. But this one, it's so fulfilling. Uh, a lot of people have lost a lot. And I noticed that we had, a lot of us were in a place where we could say we were only a paycheck away from it. So... That, well, forgive, um, forgive mm -hmm. you spend nine and a half years in med school <clears throat> and residencies and internships. You become a cardiac surgeon. Mm -hmm. You spend several days a week translating, and then when you get your degree, serving in a diagnostic capacity at refugee and resettlement centers for those seeking asylum. And you spend a couple of days a week at food banks helping those in need. You, you sound too good to be true. You're like a saint. Both of, <laughs> none of those things happened at the same time. The pantry came way after the translations and whatnot, only right. because I couldn't do that during COVID. Now, even with the pantry, the beauty about it is that I wasn't there when other people were coming in. My job was to mostly unload stuff and do the physical stuff. Right. And a lot of that happens when no one else is around. I'm working by myself. You know, so... Yeah, I mean, thank you for the title. I, I'm really, I'm yeah, really so, just trying to get at the point. Yeah, but no, I it, it was more of a volunteering and translating for them. And once COVID hit, 
that sort of had to stop. And fortunately, this place I feel like needed me more at that time. And I really do enjoy it. So I love the question that comes to mind is, do you have a personal life and how do you find fulfillment outside of those missions? You really do find fulfillment. Um, personal life happens. Yeah, I do go on dates, a lot of dates. I've rescheduled this interview even once because of a date. So <laughs> <laughs> I, rem I remember we talked about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you do find things. Fulfillment comes in a lot of things when, like I told you earlier, I've always felt like how things came into perspective so quickly and so amazing for me made me feel like there's a purpose for me out there. You know? And I do get a lot of fulfillment in my job, a lot of fulfillment in serving the community going to the gym, my friend. So I have to share with our listeners that I asked you this question. Uh, we're now, anyway, I asked you this question in November, early November. Mm -hmm. I had just moved to San Diego and my number of friends here is limited. But when I asked you what kind of friends and what kind of life you had and what you he said, well, I don't know. I've got three invitations to Thanksgiving. I haven't decided which one I'm going to take. I, <laughs> right. I didn't know what I was going to be doing three weeks later at Thanksgiving. You already had three three offers. So, you know, it, it does appear as if you've managed to surround yourself with a community that sustains you to the degree you need interpersonal connection. Is that fair? It is extremely fair. And a lot of my friends, we don't get to see each other on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, but they always seem to always invite me and love on me, you know, basically have me around, which I'm extremely thankful for. And most of them have even donated to anything I've ever asked them for. So that's another thing. So it, it's, they're amazing people and only two of them are doctors, the others are just, you know, so they've always, and that's the beauty about what COVID did, was that prior to COVID, yes, I, I'd get invitations and whatnot, but I didn't feel like they were just genuine. People just knew you worked and you were a doctor and you had or you were a nurse or you were a nurse practitioner and you just worked a lot of hours. But what COVID did was that it put the spotlight kind of showed the world the struggles these nurses and these doctors and these physicians assistants and disorderlies are actually going through. Right. And so I had people who I would genuinely just run into or just be casual friends with checking on me on a regular basis, ask me how I'm doing or how things are going for me. And when all of this is over, we should go for a meal, you know, so you have, that's one of the things that came out of it that is in a positive sense for me was that a lot of people now didn't see you as a professional. They just saw you as a human person, like it humanized a lot of what we do. So, yeah, I'm not saying people never had respect. People had the utmost respect for them, for any healthcare worker, but after the pandemic and what they saw people go through, yeah, it heightened their awareness of right. what people did. Yeah. What about 
the idea of another relationship. Let's let's be honest. We're both gay men. We live in a world where men, certainly gay men, can have sex whenever we need, if if we need it as a release. But but in terms of dating and finding someone who will be a partner, do you have the same kind of fatalistic attitude that if it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen, or are you intent upon making it happen? We go through phases when we are dating. You know what I mean. Now, a lot of our reactions or our needs more so come from where we are during that week. I don't know. That's how we most gay people operate. Sometimes we feel like we need a relationship now because wedding season is upon us and I cannot show up alone again. You know what I mean? Or sometimes... We feel like we don't need relationships because I'm good, you know, like I'm enjoying all of these things. Now that happens maybe when you feel like you've lost a couple of pounds of weight and you start to look good and you're like, okay, I really don't need a relationship because, you know, why deny the world of this? But yeah, so, so yeah, I do go through the same motions as well. If, if I'm actively looking or not, I do worry a lot. Would it be selfish to ask someone to be genuinely interested in what you're interested in, or at least have the patience to know that I'm not sure I want kids, but I do want people to remember who I was once I leave this earth. Like I want to impact someone's life. You know what I mean? Um, in a way that I didn't benefit financially and they benefited a lot from it. Because someone will tell you, well, you're operating on people. Yeah, I am. But at some point of the day, that it does become a job, you know. But I want to leave the world better. Like, I just want to have... And people have something to say about me outside of... Oh, he was great at cocktail parties. You know what I mean? Oh, because so that is hopefully if I can find someone who is willing to take that journey with me, which there are a lot of people who are passionate about something and willing to develop something and leave a lasting legacy for them. And I then I'm down for it. Okay. You mentioned to me that kind of have an aspiration that Maybe medicine won't be your career for the rest of your. What are your What are your thoughts about looking down the road, professional or occupation? It would still be in the health field. I would love to uh, open up a lot free clinics. I would love to go back into my community, sort of break a wall. We don't have images of people who we looked up to who are like us and made it and uh, made something out of themselves outside of committing suicide. You know, that is what most of the people we grew up with who we knew were gay did was that they eventually killed themselves. This, when you're saying our community, do you mean the Somalian gay community? Yes, oh, yes. All, all African communities, basically right. African communities. And start a conversation, start somewhere. A lot of them end up being escorts and whatnot. Most of them don't have access to things like PrEP that we take for granted over here now, you know, or free testing, or it's 
or even condoms or, or mental health. So that is honestly where I want to go within the next 10 years. But knowing me, I think my view, my broaden, and we'll keep being in touch and I will keep letting you know where I am at that point, but only because although our problems have the same foundations, things keep changing as the years go on you know what i mean so hopefully i will have a better idea in the future what about you know you grew up in the middle of i believe it was 13 uh, yes kids and adoptees and Mm -hmm. invisible in the middle for a long time then you came out kind of immediately making yourself how do you feel about your siblings and your parents? Is there a closeness? Is there not because of the way you were not, you weren't unaccepted, you just weren't in So Basically, now, are those accepted or not included? In what is the level of mutual exclusivity with those two? Yeah. Because did we not accept you because we never included you from the beginning someone can make an argument for like i didn't even care that you were here from the get-go so to be honest you telling me you're this now has no impact on me you know what i mean we have our days we don't have our days it is what it is i mean my parents have not said anything rude or out of pocket they they're loving. They love me a lot. I love them back. Sibling, we are fine. There haven't been any issues. It's also you have to understand that you can't put a lot of blame on people when it comes to how close we are, only because they have kids, you know, so they have other siblings that they can relate to better whenever they have free time to talk on the phone. I can talk to you on the phone whenever I want or whenever I'm free because we have something that we can talk about that we can relate on. They call me, if they say, if I say I want them to call me twice a month, honestly, I don't know what we would be talking about because I'm not going to lie. I don't even know half of my nephews and nieces' names. Having 12 siblings, each each of them has multiple kids, does create a a small town, doesn't it? So, yeah, that is what it is. But as time went on, I've noticed, you know, some are still stuck in their ways of still believing in homophobia and whatnot and still participating in it. Some have opened up and never had an opinion to begin with. I chose to be open to whoever is open to have a conversation or talk to me or reach out. If they don't, there's so much more of life to enjoy out there than to really worry about people. I think. Well, you're you're living the maxim that we often talk about in the LGBTQ world, which is there is your blood family, and there's right. your, and there's your chosen family. Sometimes they overlap, and sometimes they. I always wonder. How would it be? Do they feel like maybe I've like the people whenever I come out to them a lot or people who choose to get close to me or whatever, a lot of people don't know if they should take it seriously or not, only because I've always been an even kill person. Like I've never been too high on something or I've never been too low. Like I've always you know, so 
I remember my parents once asking me, that's because you never voice your emotions on things. And you've even mentioned that a few times that I'm not, like you said, equi- I, keep, I can't pronounce the word, but equanimous. Equanimity. You yeah. have a lot of equanimity. Yes. Um, look, so, I, yeah. I, I've gotten to know you well enough to know that that doesn't mean you're not feeling passionately. It's, whether it's you were born with this personality or whether it's everything you've lived through, we'll never know the answer. But the way you deal with the world is to hold it in and to process it and then to react. It, it literally is my reactions. Remember I told you I gained over 100 pounds after losing, you know. So the problem with that that I always found that I try not to be too aggressive over something or you know get too low on myself over a situation is that it always ends up that we think that letting out our feelings or emotions or how we feel about someone is cathartic but at some point i always feels like it damages me physically you know what i mean and I've always had a policy of focus on what you can do about things. You control the controllables. You know what I mean? If I cannot control something or someone, then I don't get too high over it. Yeah, someone passed away. I will grieve. I will forever hold them low, but I will sit with a therapist and talk about it. But I don't know the idea that always being too down on yourself and wondering what you did i'd rather focus on the good times i've had with the person than you know cry over it because crying and thinking about things for me no i gained 100 pounds no i promised myself i would never go to that point and once you've lost someone like that yes and once you lost someone like that i kid you not like I tend to not even engage in family members who choose not to accept me because it's not my place or their place to accept or deny me. I'm going to live my life the way I see it. You know who I am and that's about it. I find myself wondering mm. what your partner will be like. I can't imagine you an extremely volatile, emotionally expressive Jewish or Italian or Latin. I'm, I'm being stereotypical here. but. The idea of you with the drama queen, I just don't see it. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. I always attract those, though. Like, I kid you not. Like, that's <laughs> But maybe they seem to want the calm in me and want to tap into it. But that has been the prototype that I always attract. Even for a casual hookup, it would be like... Okay, we are just hooking up, remember? Let's stick to the basics. I'm not diagnosing you, or we're not talking about your family problem. Like, oh my God. <laughs> no. I, I can see them being attracted to you for that reason. You look like the rock of stability. But I'm trying to figure out who you will be responsive to. And I think it's somebody who has some degree of equanimity like you do and would fit with your worldview and your desire to have an impact and help others? I think it would be a very boring relationship. It would just be like two quiet old souls. (laughs) 
No, you want to have, you should have like, a dramatic, like, that's not a typical gay couple. Like, no, one, someone has to always be dramatic and the other one has to be the one to will them. Like, okay, so let me slowly drag you in and you okay, know, be, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but no, the important thing is regardless of how high or do- down the person might be, compromising in meeting in the middle is yeah. i think the most important thing and once we can find that i think you can work with someone on any level well it's been uh, a real pleasure getting to yes. know you over these last few months i look forward to a lot of continued interaction is there anything else you think no not really i feel like maybe we should have another one where we talk about relationships and what are the expectations of people when it comes to relationships? Maybe if I could answer, I'd, I'd be still be in a relationship, I think. Oh, God. Yeah, that's what I want to know. I want to know all about this fabulous mind. Like, <laughs> where have you been and all of these? Yeah, but yeah, but thank you so much for having me. I wish I could talk more, but um, I'm always here. Well, we'll, we'll plumb the depths of my relationship history personally offline. <laughs> Finding more interesting to to, to focus on, on others. It's been wonderful. I hope our audience enjoys this as much as I do, and we'll continue. Okay, thank you. Have a good one. Thank you, Khalid. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening. This episode of Bammer and Me has been produced by Mike Balaban, Tom Walker, Justin Winnick, and Matteo Nikolov. For more stories, go to bammer.co. If you'd like to contribute a story from your life, contact me at mike at bammer.co.